Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the inbreaking of this light, the reminder of the great inbreaking into this world of your heavenly kingdom in the body of your Son, which became your holy temple, which became for us the source of light and life and love for eternity. Lord, may our hearts be now open to him to behold him and to grow in this true light for your glory, for our salvation, for your witness in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So my voice this morning is not going to be like a thundering voice coming out of a cloud. And uh, actually, at the moment, it sounds better than it was sounding just a few minutes ago. Praise the Lord. I am... I wanted to give a, a short sermon this morning talking about this feast, which is the Transfiguration. It's the final Sunday in the season of Epiphany, which is that season of Revelation where we learn more and more about what it means that God has come to us in the flesh, in Christ. And we first saw a break of light into the dark world at his birth when the angels descended and bore witness. And then we saw that same light at his baptism when the, the Spirit descended upon him and began to uh, announce to the world that this is God's Son in whom he's pleased, well pleased. And then here we have really an echo of that same um, word, except in a different, slightly different context. But we find that at the center of this is the meaning of his coming all along that God has really become flesh, and then his flesh becomes the way that he reveals us, reveals to us himself in the midst of our human condition, in the midst of even suffering and death, and perhaps maybe I should say, especially through suffering and death, which is the most unusual thing. I don't think I still, as many years as I've been preaching on this and sort of beholding it in wonder, I don't think that I fully appreciate what these angels longed to look into and then they began to understand and what the saints and the apostles of old meditated on again and again in which in many ways Matthew, Paul, Peter are saying, I want you to pay attention to this light which has come into the world to scatter darkness. So I want to... Um, just take a brief look at this unusual experience of the disciples, and it became a hallmark of what it means to be a Christian in many respects, and what it means to walk your life out in a Christian way for the church throughout the centuries. Transfiguration kind of became a, a, a way of sort of iconically understanding, here's what it means that God came into our human condition, and then set it alight, set it ablaze, and you can live in this truth. Jesus is the source of that light. You can live in reflection of that throughout your lives, and there's particular wisdom that comes from this passage, this passage as to how to do that. I want to remind us of the context, though. Jesus has just received from Peter the answer to a question about who he is. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? He asks the apostles, and uh, they give various answers, and then Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is thrilled. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. This doesn't come from a human source. 
It's the Father in heaven who's revealed it to you. And on that rock, on this rock, Peter, I've called you rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And then um, he says to them, don't tell anybody about this for a while. So there's something he wants to keep hidden because it's not gonna be understood yet. There's more that has to unfold. So he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. It's revealed by the Father. Peter starts to say it. He begins to just catch a glimpse of it and begins to speak to it just a little bit, but he doesn't quite understand it. And Jesus knows this ahead of time, of course. He also knows if Peter starts going around and saying that to Israel, they're not gonna understand it. And I think a lot of times we still don't understand what it means that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And... uh, And so to clarify, Jesus then continues, again, right before our passage in Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That was definitely not expected. That is the shocking center of the revelation through which the light most brightly shines into the world. And it's actually the darkness into which that light is most needed, right? It is in the midst of our suffering and death we actually need a light to explode in our darkness. Whatever suffering we have right now, whatever muted experience we have of not being able to hear from God, not being able to experience him, is because there is sin and because there is suffering and because there is death and things are opaque and it's hard to connect to him. And so we need light, especially there. And Jesus goes right there and there's this massive revelation that happens that we're gonna get into as we get closer and closer to the celebration of Holy Week. Peter doesn't like it though. He says, he takes him aside and he begins to rebuke the Lord and he says, which is a strange thing for him to do. I mean, Jesus has been performing miracles and teaching with authority like nobody's ever heard. And Peter takes him aside. I don't know what happened exactly. I know a lot of us sort of make fun of Peter. It's like, I guess he, he started to get a little puffed up and maybe thought that maybe it did come from his own flesh and blood. I don't know. But he starts to take him aside and rebuke the Lord saying, far be it from you. This shall never happen to you. And I think that is an honest thing for Peter to say. So I don't want this way of suffering for you. You're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. This can't be the way. And Jesus says emphatically, he says, that's a satanic thing. Get me behind me, Satan. This is a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I think that is a key for this morning is that Peter is told he's not setting his mind on the things of God but on the things of man. I think it is our way, especially in this culture where it's very easy to do and we have a lot of technology and access to things that are entertaining and pleasurable. It's, it's, um, it's easy to set our mind on the things of man and to think that life consists in that. And Jesus is saying, I want you to set your mind on the things of God. And to expand it a teeny bit more, he says, like if you're gonna come after me, if you're gonna follow me, like if I'm really really your Messiah, if I'm your new king, it means that you're gonna take up a cross, you're gonna deny yourself, 
which means in a way you're going to embrace difficult things. You're gonna maybe not choose the easy way or the pleasurable way, and you're gonna follow me. But if you lose your life for that higher purpose, for my sake, you will find it. The last thing he says is that there's some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right, so he's given some very hard words to the disciples. He has challenged them to not think the way of men, which is about self-protection, which is about moving from one place of power to another place of power, which is about acquiring things, which is about overcoming enemies. I think a lot of that's embedded in this. And then he says, I want you to move in the opposite direction, downward, denying yourself and taking up your cross to follow me. And then he makes a great promise. There's some standing here who won't taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So that is right before our passage. It says that six days later, he takes with him which is a nice contrast that Peter had taken Jesus aside and said, here's what it's really about. And then Jesus rebukes him, sets him straight. There's a different kind of glory that's gonna happen. It goes down, but it goes up and it stays up. There's a different kind of glory happening here. And then um, six days later, Jesus takes to himself Peter and James and John. He leads them up a high mountain by himself, by themselves. I think one of the things I wanna encourage us this Lent is I wanna encourage us to do this. I think there might be a puzzle in your life, right? It might be a puzzle about like, "Mm, I'm not sure I'm happy with this particular lot I have in my life right now. It feels confusing, it doesn't make sense. Like if God really is is my savior and, and I'm supposed to be moving from one glory to another, which is true, I don't feel it right now. And I think one of the things that we could, we could learn about that glory is that the way to come into it is to pull away and to pray and probably do it with some close friends. Set aside some time, set aside a place. Jesus actually does it. It looks, it, it looks like he does it for maybe a day and a half, maybe almost like the same amount of time from like Monday, Thursday night to sometime Saturday evening. I don't, I don't know exactly, but there's a chunk of time there totally dedicated to prayer. And he does it with a couple, three good friends on a high mountain away from the world. We're gonna give you some resources um, during the Lenten season for how you could do this at home and some simple ways you could incorporate basic liturgy, structure and prayer. Um, But I think especially what we have here is six days later, this is after he's saying, some of you standing here are not gonna taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then six days later, which is it's kind of like the, the parallel to Moses, right? Moses went up on a mountain too. And then he's up there for six days, kind of parallels the six days of creation. Something interesting about the sixth day that a lot of fathers have said is that the sixth day is when man was made. Humanity was made on the sixth day. So it's the crown of creation. It's, it, it comes at that point. So in some ways, I think what Matthew is hinting at is that the meaning of our life is, is hidden here. 
The meaning of our life is to let go of the things that the world says are important to focus on and to, to reorient it and focus on the kingdom and on Jesus and how he shows us who God is. And that's what it means to be fully alive. That's what it means to be fully human, to be made in, image, in the image of God. And in this case, redeemed in the image of God is to enter into it with Jesus, who's there leading that prayer session. And he's doing it continuously now at the right hand of the Father. So in many respects, this is, this is giving us a hint of what it's actually like for us to truly be the church. It's to be people who are formed in prayer, in Christ, in prayer with him, in his place of glory, which he has won emphatically and definitively because of his cross and resurrection. So in that place of prayer, he... Um, he begins to transfigure, transform. There's like a metamorphosis that happens. And it's like the, the form of who he is, he's, he's always certainly been Yeshua to them. I mean, he's a human being, I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a prophet. He's certainly the prophet. He must be the son of the living God, the Messiah, the prophet, predicted and prophesied by Moses, who would come, and then you have to listen to all of his words too. He is the prophet that Elijah was going to be the forerunner for. He is the Messiah. And, um, and yet they would still just say, well, he's going to be like David, perhaps, or going to be like Moses. And that's not what Jesus shows him. He's quite different from Moses. He's quite different from Elijah, even David. He's transfigured before them. And then this is when it begins to really shine brightly, obviously, because his face shines like the sun. His clothes become white as light. What's different about this revelation of God is that it's in the face of Jesus. So different from the cloud that descended upon Moses, there's a cloud that's gonna descend upon Jesus in just a moment with the voice of the Father coming through it. But in this case, the source of the light is Jesus' face. And in beholding his face, they see a light that is so bright. It's like the sun. And then even his clothes become white. Like the things that are around him become white. And then the next thing they notice is that Moses and Elijah are talking with him. Something is being revealed here. I'm not exactly sure how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Maybe they heard him speaking. That's what Luke says. It says that Jesus was praying at this point about his exodus, his exodus. Like his, his Passover, when he was gonna die, suffer and die and then rise, he was actually speaking to the Father about that and then also talking with Moses and Elijah. A lot of the fathers are saying that, well, Moses' understanding of God and seeing the face of God when he was hid in the cleft and, the, he, and, and he saw the, the, the backside of the Lord is that the cleft that he was hid in was literally the, the flesh of Christ. And somehow in a way that just is beyond time, he's, he's actually seeing God in the face of Christ and what we're seeing the apostles witness is that moment outside of time somehow that the Lord is revealing to them. It's a beautiful interpretation from the fathers that Jesus transcends time, and he's been revealing himself from the beginning to the prophets, especially Moses and 
David in the Psalms and Isaiah and, and Elijah, the forerunner, who would turn the hearts of sons to the fathers and fathers to the sons. They're right there talking to him because the kingdom has come and the light has come into the world through the flesh of Jesus. So I think what we could also take away from this is that Jesus has said, you're not gonna taste death, some of you, until the coming of the Son of Man in his kingdom, which would mean his glory, this great splash of light. They would always have thought of it there. And the great victory of the kingdom to come, they're gonna see the Son of Man, and he's saying, some of you aren't gonna taste death. The problem at this point in the life of the church was that many of them had died. And the Lord, as the Son of Man coming in in glory, hadn't happened yet. I think one of the issues that we have right now is that we feel like it's just going so long and we're waiting for that arrival. We're waiting for the coming one and we're waiting for that redemption of our troubles and it's not forthcoming. So I think what, what Peter is doing here, I'm sorry, Matthew is doing here, and surely this story comes from Peter and James and John, but I think what he's doing here is he's showing us that, that there is a way to understand the revelation of God and the kingdom as overcoming death and you want to grab hold of this because it will lead to encouragement. He says, um, Lord, man, this is, this is so good. It's so good that we're here. This is what Peter's saying. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles, three tents right here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's still babbling. And then all of a sudden, there's this bright cloud. It overshadows them, all of them. A voice comes from the cloud. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. There's the echo again of the baptism. Listen to him. It becomes clear that what the father is saying, because it's sandwiched between these, these two difficult words. He's saying, listen to Jesus about what it means that the kingdom is revealed in me as victorious son of man and yet the one who's gonna suffer, die, and be raised. That's what he's saying he wants us to listen to. Peter will later say, I really want you to pay attention to that light as if it's a lamp in a dark place within your own heart. Because the problem is we have the darkness in our own hearts and we're troubled by what is not resolved. We're troubled by what's confusing and obscure and, and it's not going well perhaps, right? And we are listening too much of the things of the world and, and, um, and so we're not able to see and, and what Peter's saying is that don't fix your eyes on this Lord. Listen to him. We have this prophecy even more sure, Peter would say in his second epistle. So pay attention until the bright light of Christ, his resurrection light, which never sets, rises in your heart. Do that. But it starts with this place of, of understanding the suffering, understanding the dying to yourself. And that's why the Lord's Father is so pleased with him and why he wants us to listen to him. This is a frightening thing to the disciples and Jesus comes to them, gently touches them. He says, rise, have no fear. And then they see no one but Jesus. I think what's happening here is that there's two things being emphasized is that Jesus is going way down. He's going down into the worst of our trouble, which we want to avoid. 
And the Father's also showing that he overcomes everything at the same time. And he so overcomes everything that even Moses and Elijah, who were thought to be people who had not tasted death, right? That's why this is so meaningful to them. Like some of you aren't gonna die before you see the coming of the Son of Man and you're not gonna taste death. And then here's Jesus in all of this glorious light and it's a a sign of God coming out of him, except that's different. And, And then you've got Moses and Elijah, these men who supposedly never tasted death I wonder why Enoch wasn't in there because he was another one of those guys. But anyway, Moses and Elijah are there. Oh, this is great. That's what it must be then. Then we're all getting to participate in this and we all get our own tabernacle. Maybe. I don't know. But what's absolutely totally clear is that Jesus wants, the Father wants to be very clear that Jesus has to be the ultimate there is nobody who can compare to him. Even if you've, you've been raised from the dead, even if you've never tasted death, that is still not the same as being my son in whom I'm well pleased. That he is in the flesh that will suffer and die and raise again. He is the son of God alone. And he alone can we look to and see the face of God. I think what's happening is they're being disabused of a lot of confusion. They're being disabused of a lot of things that have been put into their minds about what kingdom is actually like and what salvation really is. And they're beginning to have a light shine into it that's otherworldly and it's of a different sort than they had anticipated. And it's exactly what we need right now. It is the light that needs to accompany us into our time of prayer in Lent. So I wanna encourage you to go away. I think there's a call there to go away and to stop being mediated by the things that you think are good that really aren't that good. I think there's a a way in which Jesus is saying, look, you've you've had all of this content poured into you. It's like, if back in those days they had had like a, a news feed like we do, Everything that's going into Peter's mind and everybody in Israel at the time is saying, this is what real leadership looks like and this is what salvation looks like and this is what a kingdom looks like. It's gonna be a lot more like, I don't know, Caesar, maybe. Or maybe David, who was was known to be a violent man, but he was a Messiah king. And all of that information that's been shaping the minds, they're they're being disabused of that. But they had to come away for that to happen. And so I think that that's one of the things that I want to encourage you to think about. We're, we're feasting on a lot of media right now, and it's telling us a lot of things about what life is really all about. I know I'm going to be taking a media fast because I'm starting to realize, what is that media mediating to me? It's giving me a kind of a content. It's shaping my mind. It's shaping my heart. and shaping my thoughts and my feelings. And even what I want gets shaped by that. And I think I've got to come away from it. And I need to... Instead, come into a different media entirely. I need to s- subscribe to a new news feed, an eternal one. And I need to go to a place where prayer is my medium, where that light of Christ can really shine. So I would encourage you to pray about, like, what, what are the things that you're feeding upon? It could literally be food, I don't know, that you need to leave aside in order to come away 
for a dedicated period of time. Maybe do it with some friends. And then listen deeply to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world to shine a light that was unexpected and yet is the only one that doesn't ever go out. You are the ascending son who never descends because you have once for all died for our sins and you have once for all conquered death, overcome fear. And that light doesn't ever have to in our own hearts be eclipsed by anything Lord, I pray that you would inspire my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would stir them up with a call to receive this light which is shining everywhere right now. Lord, we just want to give you thanks that you have come into our human existence. Every molecule of of our humanity has been uh, filled with your holy, divine presence. And you've invited us to partake of that and enter into it in prayer to come away with you and to leave aside the things that are clouding our vision and confusing us, the things that we think life consists of but don't really. Lord, I pray that you would give us true life, give us your true light, and give us a gift of government in our own souls so that all things would be subject to you, even within us, so that we might be children of light, reflecting your light in unhindered ways. Lord, may in no way we get in the way of this light for ourselves or for those you want to reach through us. And pray this in your holy name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.